Nyata. Hello. My name is Alison. I pastor a little church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary. I acknowledge the peoples of the Eastern Ma Nation who have been sharing stories and keeping culture here since time immemorial, and I pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Today I'll reflect on a story from our biblical elders, and it's a story about plague and empire, a story for our times. So let's begin. Once upon a time, long, long ago, there was a nation whose gods shaped it into a pyramid of power. At the top was one man, Pharaoh, the semi-divine son of the sun god Ra. And as happens to everyone, Pharaoh was made in his god's image, dominating, enslaving, murderous, turning the things of life, midwives the Nile, into instruments of death. Further down the pyramid were those who did the dirty work, the architects of Pharaoh's grandiose monuments to himself, the overseers, the slave drivers, the comfortable elite. At the base of the pyramid were the slaves, exhausted, ragged, hungry, beaten, burdened, traumatised by the deaths of their children and perpetually threatened by death themselves. So there they were at the bottom of the heap, where life is cheap and hope non-existent. But once upon a time there was a new story, a story about a God who cares and who sets the people at the bottom of the pyramid free. Yet this liberation was achieved through plagues, signs and wonders, which make us squirm. Did this God cause the plagues? Why was Pharaoh's heart perpetually hardened? Why did innocent Egyptians and livestock suffer? Why did children die? These are questions with no easy answers, and rabbis and sages and thinkers have been wrestling with them over the centuries, and we should wrestle with them too. But here I'd like to offer my two cents worth, and then draw out some conclusions for us today. To begin with, each of the plagues, signs and wonders can be interpreted as a show of power over an Egyptian god. The first sign is that the Nile turns red with blood, and so Hapi, the god of the Nile, is overmastered. Then comes a plague of frogs, showing power over Hecate, the frog goddess. Lice are raised up from dust, showing power over Geb, the god of dust and earth, and so it goes on right up to the ninth plague, when the land is plunged into darkness and Pharaoh's personal god, the sun god Ra, is snuffed out. The tenth plague is the most appalling, but let's not shy away from it. It can be understood as a response to Cannibal's Hymn, a religious song which tells of the Egyptian gods destroying their own children. And it's a response to Pharaoh, made in the image of these gods, who told midwives to murder babies, and when that didn't work, ordered every Israelite baby boy thrown into the source of Egyptian life, Nile. People are made in the image of their gods, and they form their societies accordingly. Murderous gods create murderous people, and nations with deadly hierarchies of power. 
So did the God of this new story actually murder the firstborn? For myself, I can't believe it. For this God is a God of life. The God who tells Abraham not to sacrifice his son and who repeatedly condemns child sacrifice. In the person of Jesus Christ, this God chooses to suffer and die in order to reveal and heal human violence. Such a God does not cause the deaths of children. But what I can believe is that people died and that storytellers attributed it to God. Which is all very well, but what does it have to do with us? Well, we are made in the image of our gods, and we still live in a world which is a pyramid. We're not at the top. We're not hobnobbing with the Murdochs and the Trumps and the Bezoses of this world. But nor are we anywhere near the bottom. Anyone who can listen to this podcast is nowhere near the bottom. We are perhaps the comfortable middle, which regrets how things are, but which takes for granted that things can never really change. And I wonder whether one day people will tell a new story. A story which reveals the God of life, who heals hearts, liberates people and transforms history once again. In such a story there might be plagues, signs and wonders. And perhaps they would look like this. 1. Rivers dry up and people are left without a drop to drink. 2. Extraordinary mass fish deaths occur and stink up the major waterways. 3. Fertile land turns saline and crops will grow no more. 4. Countless bees and other pollinating insects mysteriously sicken and die. 5. Flocks and herds develop species-to-species transmissible diseases and all must be destroyed. 6. A novel coronavirus rips around the globe, leaving a trail of sickness and suffering and death. 7. Intense hurricanes batter coastal cities and render them uninhabitable. 8. Locust swarms devastate crops from New South Wales to East Africa. 9. Bushfires rage out of control, destroying plants, animals and communities and blotting out the sun. And what if these things happened because our world worships the gods of private wealth and free movement of capital and unlimited economic growth? What if they happen because we worship the gods of personal rights without communal responsibility? The gods which place the desires of the 1% above the basic needs of the many. The gods which show contempt for trees and land and water. The gods which allow children to starve while the oblivious middle fly overhead. Could we tell a new story? in which the God of life uses these plagues, signs and wonders to warn of impending disaster. And if we turn to this God and humble ourselves and seek to live in this God's ways, could healing happen 
and this God prevail? Once upon a time, God said to Solomon, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send plague among the people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. All around us are plagues, signs and wonders. Every vested interest, every major political party has hardened its heart. We're told climate collapse is not happening, and we're told real change is not possible. Yet what if between each of their signs there is an opportunity for hearts to soften? A chance for repentance, an opening for justice and communal liberation and life-giving change. Last week, one of our teenagers prayerfully reminded us that global emissions have dropped 10% since shutdown and scientists are urging us to use this window for urgent, drastic, salvific action. And the 10th plague is not yet upon us. What then does repentance look like? And how then are we called to act? What does repentance look like? And how are we called to act? Let us pray. O God who gives us life to cherish and enjoy, and who makes us capable in its service of costly love, and powerful commitment, we turn again to follow Jesus into the highways and byways of his world and ours. As we follow him, help us to choose life in all its abundance, not just for ourselves, but for all our struggling world. For you lay down your life so that all may be healed through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This prayer is adapted from a prayer by Janet Morley, which you can find in her wonderful book, All Desires Known. As for the rest, if you value what you heard, there's always more to read on our website at sanctuarybaptist.wordpress.com. Sanctuary is funded entirely by members and supporters. If you'd like to support the work of this little church, you can make a donation via PayPal. And you can find the details for this on the website. Great to have you with us and we'll catch you another time. God bless.